0: Alright, uh, Pastor Peterson, Ryan us to dismiss Children's Church right now. Dismiss Children's Church. Now, if you've ever been to Hawaii, how many of you have been to Hawaii? Anybody been to Hawaii? Oh my goodness, look at this. I love Hawaii because it is, doesn't have as many bugs as Florida. Amen. And, uh, and, uh, but you know, it's very laid back. It's a laid back state, laid back culture. And uh, um, Teresa and I have had the privilege to go to Hawaii many different times, many different times. And on one occasion we were there, uh, we took actually um, from our Christian school, they wanted their senior trip to go to Hawaii, so we were able to make that happen, and Teresa and I were able to be the sponsors, and uh, the, the young people sang in the morning service, and we have special music going. Very nice, thank you. Okay, all right. On uh, one occasion, the, the young people there, they, they present special music in the morning service, and they asked me to speak in the evening service, and uh, I was excited about that opportunity, And uh, um, they, they, but the elders of the church cornered me after the morning service, and they said, "'Pastor, we, we're excited to hear you preach, but don't wear your tie.'" just come casual. And uh, so when I, when I did, though, they, they presented me with, um, uh, and all their guest speakers, with this uh, lay for the men, made of these uh, wood beads and these shells and, and some handmade uh, vine. So they presented that, and there I go. There I am. I'm fit to preach now, Hawaiian style. Tonight is our Hawaiian theme uh, service. And uh, you know that the typical greeting in Hawaii is what? Aloha, but you have to do it Hawaiian style. You've got to elongate the second syllable. You've got to go, aloha, okay? And so they coach you how to do it the right way there when you're with a group. Now, what's interesting about the word aloha is it's, it's not only a greeting for hello and goodbye, but it also means love ya. It also means that. And so it has several meanings, the word aloha in the Hawaiian language. Uh, but our message tonight is a continuation uh, um, of, of, of a series that uh, we began last month, and I'll only speak as often as pastor gives me opportunity, and I want to thank pastor for opportunity to speak tonight. Thank you for that, pastor. Uh, Where The series is called The One Another's of the New Testament. And if you did just a random search with your Bible tools on your computer or whatnot, and you search for one another's, it will turn up a treasure trove of scriptural insight. Um, and so we want to cover some uh, a couple more of these tonight. First of all, I want to thank the congregation for the very warm response, uh, enthusiastic response last month. Uh, when we preach part one of this message. And just as a quick review, we ended last month with Romans 15, 7. And we'll be in Romans 15 again tonight. So you can turn there tonight right now to Romans 15. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Romans 15. And I am so looking forward to fellowship tonight. But, you know, these special super summer Sunday night fellowships um, aren't uh, to keep us out of trouble. They're to warm our heart and our spirit towards others in the body of Christ. And so Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, we covered last time, the last part of the message was, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. A couple of things that we had said at that time were conscious, consciously spend time greeting those you don't normally talk to, minimize differences, and seek common ground for fellowship. You know, sometimes as believers, if we're careful, we will miss really great opportunities to meet new Christians because we're judging on the exterior only. Now, it's not that it's, un, that it's unimportant, uh, but sometimes we'll miss opportunity. For instance, this morning in our college career class, had a young man visit. And, uh, and he was dressed ultra casual. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I did not hesitate a moment to just go up and greet him and get to know him. And found out that uh, his, his uh, parents likely aren't saved. And it was his grandparents that led him to Christ. And uh, on top of that, that uh, he felt called to ministry. And he, though coming through only public school and so forth, the Lord has been working in his life. And he's going to a Bible college this fall. And he told me, I want to become a pastor. Wow. So um, uh, we need to be careful that uh, we... We don't treat people as unimportant who are visitors among us. Scripture tells us they may be angels unawares. So, amen? And, uh, and then another point we made was in this way, when we receive others, we are receiving, accepting others as Christ received and accepted us, and God gets the glory. And then this thought we shared last time when we avoid fellowship with others, when we avoid uh, friendships, when we Avoid even counseling opportunities, even conversationally right here in the sanctuary or just outside the doors. Any interaction with other believers in the body, we are sometimes avoiding an opportunity to comfort or console our brothers and sisters. Do not misconstrue this as we have to, uh, we have to do offensive or wrong things together. just to, Just to be able to talk to each other? No. God presents what we call divine appointments with one another before and after the services, and uh, don't miss that time when you you, uh, just come just before the service starts and then leave immediately when it ends. You're missing on healthy First Baptist body time, all right? And so uh, I want to encourage everybody to come early or stay late or both and minister to others in the body of Christ. But we finished last week with this thought, avoiding people who are not Antagonistic, or just generally ornery, but lonely, and fellowship-starved is equivalent to hatred. We are saying essentially to that other person, "You're not worth my time." There's an incredible little booklet, little booklet called "The Hospitality Commands," and uh, it was written by a retired pastor, and he talks about uh, he talks about uh, an occasion where at a particular church. Um, that uh, this this church body heard the announcement of one of its widow members that it was going to be their last Sunday. And so these others in the church family reached out to this widow, and uh, she sadly said, it's only since I've announced that I'm leaving that anybody has ever had me over. Oh, that stung when I read that. And uh, we need to be a church that is... Uh, ambitious for the Lord and to get to know each other and to love each other. That's what's going to happen these several Sunday nights, including tonight. We're going to have some aloha time. And so uh, tonight, now, I call your attention to Romans 15 and verse 14 now. Verse 14, and the Apostle Paul writes, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful for this opportunity to speak to these, your people, the sheep of your pasture, and Lord, I'm asking that you would work in every heart tonight and help us to be a more loving and um, ambitious body to care for one another and to fulfill these commands as we see them in Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So since the key word, the action word associated with the phrase in verse 14, one another, is this word admonish. We're going to start there and work slightly backwards uh, through verse 14. But first notice at the beginning of verse 14, the Apostle Paul using the wording, I myself also... And and that's somewhat strong and emphatic. It connects to the word persuaded. Of what is he himself also? He is persuaded and persuaded to this end. That believers are competent to care for one another. To counsel each other with the tools that God supplies. And so these tools are the following. I I have uh, three tools that I list. And one of them is the word of God. The next one's spiritual gift, and then the timing, the timing following the promptings of the Holy Spirit in those things, in those tools. So let me say them again. The Word of God, one's spiritual gift, and the promptings of the Spirit. That's how we accomplish healthy body life and accomplish the fulfillment of verse 14 that we um, admonish one another. Now, the word admonish, Oh, it's a great word in Scripture. Do a word study sometime on the word admonish. It means to put in mind as to bring back to recollection. And it means to caution or reprove gently. Gently. Um, it means to warn. It means to provide uh, warning as a form of counsel, as in deliberate opportunity to counsel. And also, the word admonish means this to caution or to reprove. Sometimes we think, uh, and, and, the, and the key word is to gently reprove. And sometimes we think we're being gentle when we're reproving, but, we're, uh, but gentle is actually in the mind of the person receiving your admonishment, whether it's gentle or not. Uh, one school administrator that I knew years ago, he, he used to say to uh, to his faculty, you know, we think we're being gentle, like we're using one of those toy foam bats, and we're tapping people with reproof, but to them, it feels like we're using a real wood bat on them. (laughs) I've not forgotten that word picture. So thinking about how we deliver God's truth to another person, um, that it's, it's couched in gentleness, very important for us in healthy body life. But the word reprove, I think, needs needs careful handling as well. The word reprove or reproof in our King James Bible, it it means to be able to prove someone in the error of their way, to prove, to reprove, to convince them um, that they are in error in some way. Um, And and so sometimes that's hard to tell people in, in a roundabout way or directly, you're wrong. <laughs> All right. And so uh it takes it takes a special gift to be de- to be able to deliver that truth in a way that a person can receive it. And that's why I mentioned the other two Tools is not just the Word of God, but your spiritual gift and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, the idea of the word reproof or reproved is used of handling the Word of God, that the Scriptures themselves are the source of wisdom and knowledge to counsel and admonish one another. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Many of you could quote this, but turn there. Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 good to hear those pages turning others of us are using digital devices that's okay um just so long as we're looking at this word of scripture amen not twitter not facebook you know they combined youtube twitter and facebook right you heard they combined the three now it's called you twit okay all right now um, admonish admonish we we're talking about the word admonish uh the word reprove Shows up in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. I, I, I'd like to credit Pastor Rick with that joke, but I found it on my own. Alright, <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What's the next phrase? For reproof. For correction." For instruction in righteousness. And then here's the reason why. Don't, don't lift it out of its context. Verse 17 tells us the reason why. That the man of God may be perfect. Which means complete or mature. May be perfect, thoroughly furnished or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now I also want to call your attention to um, the positive and negative traits of the words that Paul uses in his list. He says it's profitable for doctrine. That's positive. For reproof, some might consider that negative. For correction, that might be considered negative. For instruction in righteousness, that might be considered positive. Some people get out of balance, and it's like, oh, if I only have something positive to say, I shouldn't say anything at all. Well, the scripture offers a balance of positive and negative there, doesn't it? And so I want to encourage us that as God's, Spirit prompts us and we speak the oracles of God, the word of God and, and truth into people's lives that we take opportunity. It's not all about the positive. Sometimes we have to, we have to present negative to them that they may, uh, may grow in the Lord. Now, back to Romans chapter uh, 15 and verse 14 again. Notice that the apostle Paul elsewhere directs believers to admonish one another. And, uh, and, and this uh, we read in verse 14 again. That ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. And I want us to take a moment now and I want us to think about this, uh, this task of admonishing one another through the prism. Have you ever held a prism, a glass piece, and it refracts light in various different directions? It can sometimes throw color on the wall like a rainbow. Um, And I want us to look at admonishing one another through the prism of spiritual gifts. So I have you in Romans 15, turn back a few pages, Romans 12, Romans chapter 12. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Keep your finger in Romans, in Romans 12. We'll come back to that. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And so, uh, as previously stated, um, Paul talks about the purpose of Scripture, that it's for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now he puts, he puts shoe leather to that concept, In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says three things and how to treat various people. Warn, comfort, and support. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Warn, comfort, and support. He he says again, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. And then he closes off that list with, be patient toward all men. Toward all men. Note that the Apostle Paul addresses... Uh, in Back in Romans 15, again, he addresses the brethren. He says there in verse 14, he says, And I myself, also, uh, I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, my brethren. And so believers are indeed enabled both then, in the time that Romans was written in the first century church, and today to supply godly wisdom and counsel to each other. And uh, I like what one commentator said. He said, there was mutual counseling already in that day. By and large, the members of the church at Rome discovered that they were competent to admonish or counsel one another. Boy, that needs to happen. That needs to happen on a weekly basis. You know, some of us are in our 20s and we need the... The maturity of hanging out with people who are older and wiser in the Lord that are in their 30s and 40s. I'm, a, I'm beyond that. I'm in my 50s. My, my younger brother teases me this is my last year in my 50s. Enjoy it, he said. Uh, but uh, I, need, I need the mature uh, fellowship and counsel of people in this congregation that are older and wiser than me in the Lord. And uh, those that are in their 60s and 70s that that have a walk with the Lord and a life, a track record, a testimony of obedience to him. And that's how a body functions. Um, Some, if you're not careful, uh, will have a know-it-all attitude towards your elders and the faith. And guess what? You're going to miss out on good counsel in your life. You're going to miss out on good advice Insights into family issues, into financial issues, into relationship problems. You're going to miss out on that because you have a, a stinking know it all attitude. Amen. Um, and so uh, Paul says here that we are able to counsel one another. Um, there's no place in the kingdom of Christ, I want to say this carefully, for secular wisdom that is devoid of the truth of God for Freudian psychiatry and psychology that marginalizes to the side God's eternal truth and it should be rejected if all we're getting is a big chunk of secular wisdom apart from the word of God. So I want to encourage those in our body, if if there are those of you that need um, more than surface counseling, you need more than that. Maybe you've been through some traumatic events in your life, and uh, you find a person who has a Bible-based Christian perspective for counseling. Amen. And there are those equipped um, both in our church and in the region of Central Florida uh, that uh, can, can handle those who have deep uh, mental health needs in their life. Um, so I uh, want to say further that there are those equipped uh, in the area here of uh, the church in Florida that are uh, equipped with today's standards of care to minister to believers that are suffering the effects of, of uh, deep-seated trauma and mental health needs like PTSD. PTSD. So going back to uh, the beginning of verse 14 again, Romans 15, Paul states, he says, I myself am persuaded of you. Notice that Paul's using this term, he's very confident when he says persuaded. He says, I am confident, persuaded of the capacity of believers in the local assembly to counsel one another. And we mentioned this last week, or last month rather, that we don't have to have a title of authority to care for each other in the church. You don't have to be pastor so-and-so to actually care for someone else in the body. Um, You don't have to have a title of this is counselor so-and-so to counsel someone in the church family who just needs good old-fashioned Bible wisdom. Amen. And so um, it's important for us to speak truth into each other's life from the word of God. And so when there's a disturbance in the church family, someone or some ones are going through trial. And we know sometimes they share that on you know, Wednesday night as a prayer request or in their Sunday school class as a prayer request. They're going through it in their life. That's when the body of Christ gently and humbly using their spiritual gifts surface immediately to meet the evident needs. And some have such strong spiritual gifts that they can even sense a disruption to the unity and the peace at First Baptist. Boy, those are special people. And I wish to challenge every one of us tonight, first of all, to know your spiritual gift and then to regularly use that gift in gentle, humble ministry to others about spiritual gifts now. That's the prism. I got ahead of myself. The prism. Let's go back to the prism. That piece of glass that is uh, beveled on several sides. Maybe it's shaped like a diamond and it reflects light everywhere. You know, that's like people in the body who have spiritual gifts. They have perspective. And so uh, three things are true of a person who is joyfully fulfilled in ministry and ministering to others. Number one, they've discovered their spiritual gift and they're using it. Number two, (coughs) they're actually fulfilling their passion for a particular ministry. And number three, they actually understand their own temperament. All right, so first of all, a person who has discovered their spiritual gift and is using it. That needs careful definition because spiritual gifts are used in various places in the New Testament. And Uh, um, one of those uh, are special miraculous manifestation gifts where the apostles were able to heal people, people maybe spoke in tongues in the first century as the scriptures were nearing their completion. Remember uh, the apostle John doesn't complete the writing of Revelation until uh, AD 90 or so and so Uh, the, val- the message of the gospel was validated among the Jews by miraculous sign gifts, but it's not just those. There's also uh, motivational gifts and uh, also ministry gifts, and so we want to talk about the uh, the motivational gifts that are very important in this church that exists today, way beyond the um, uh, what we call the expiration date of the of the miraculous. Sign gifts. Um, So careful definition here. One writer said spiritual gifts. They are the special equipment for ministry that the Holy Spirit gives in some measure to all believers and that are to be wholly under his control and used for Christ's glory. Another uh, writer said this. Spiritual gifts are an ability given to the Christian out of the grace of God through the Holy Spirit and controlled by the Spirit in Christian service and growth. And then one other writer said, uh, these uh, motivational gifts today that exist in the church today are drives, opportunities, and results given by the Holy Spirit to achieve God's supernatural goals. Achieve God's supernatural goals. Boy, what happens to a church when they seize on those kind of definitions using their spiritual gifts? The, uh, the effect of Romans 15 verse 14 that we find ourselves able to admonish one another, we're not minimizing or treating lightly those in the body of Christ who have the perspective of their spiritual gift, but we become incredibly more healthy and helpful to others in the family of God when we understand and are using our spiritual gift and we understand the others in the body who have a particular spiritual gift. So the ministry gifts that are still in use today are listed in Romans 12. That's where we have, have hold you, uh, told you to hold your finger. Romans chapter 12, just uh, three verses there. Romans 12, 6, 7, and 8. It says, Paul writes, having then gifts differing according to the grace, of, uh, grace that is given to us. And here's the list. There are seven of them. The first one he lists, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, verse 8, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let's talk about those now, the different gifts that are listed by the Apostle Paul. The first one he lists is prophet. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to proportion of faith. That's a person in the body who has this strong compulsion or desire to proclaim truth and to expose sin. That's a person who's a prophet. The next one there, he lists is ministry. Or ministry, uh, 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 um, let us wait on our ministering. And that's the person who has the gift of serving. Ministry or serving. It's a desire to meet needs to uh, free up others that they may be more effective and productive in their service for God. The next one is teaching. It's a desire to clarify truth, to validate information. And this person is motivated to make sure that the facts are right, so decisions are, that are based on them are correct. And uh, these, these people exist in the family of God, in First Baptist Church. And they're important, all of these gifts that we're mentioning. And the next one is exhortation. And that's a desire to stimulate faith and promote spiritual growth in others. And then uh, the next one listed there uh, is giving. That's a desire to entrust assets and to maximize results with those assets. And then there's the person who has the gift of administration, or as Paul uh, described it in Romans uh, 12.8, the one that ruleth. Um, Ruling. It's a desire to plan ahead, to complete tasks, great goal setters, managers of people, delegators, decisive, alert to details. And then the last gift, spiritual gift mentioned, is that of mercy. It's a desire to remove distress and to share burdens. So, if a survey was given to the church family asking this question, and we all filled it out and turned it in, what is the greatest need at First Baptist right now? You'd likely hear the people possessing these various gifts Um, speak out maybe like this. This one person who has a particular spiritual gift would say, Pastor Peterson, what we need around here at First Baptist Church, we just need more preaching against sin. We need more confrontation from the pulpit. What spiritual gift says that or speaks like that? Yeah, person with the gift of prophecy, the prophet. This other gift in the body will say, well, Pastor, there's just too many incorrect things being said in, in Sunday school, sometimes from the pulpit. Pastor Troy, Pastor Rick, they're just, they just—they need to do more study. They're missing some important truths. And uh, not enough time has been given to the documentation of the facts of Scripture. What spiritual gift speaks like that? Those that, are, that have the gift of teaching, yeah. This other person with the spiritual gift, they answer that survey question with this. Pastor, there's just too many people sitting in the pews. There are not enough people involved in helping others. What spiritual gift speaks that way? Yeah, person with the gift of ministry or serving. All right? Uh, uh, The other one who has a particular spiritual gift says, Well, Pastor Peterson, my take on it is this. First Baptist, we need more counseling with people. Taking people from where they are to where they ought to be and doing it step by step by step. What spiritual gift speaks like that? Person with exhortation. You see it at the top of the screen there. Person with exhortation. Uh, They're a person who's specially gifted to counsel others. And then um, someone says this, Pastor, we need more emphasis on stewardship at First Baptist. Greater opportunity for being stretched in this church financially. Don't people realize that the more they give, the more their faith grows proportionately. Obvious what spiritual gift says that, right? Giving. And then then this last spiritual gift. uh, No, two more spiritual gifts. Uh, This person says, well, you know, pastor, we don't put enough emphasis on loving and caring for people. Don't you know, Pastor, there are families hurting in this church, and it seems like no one cares. What spiritual gift speaks that way? Yeah, a person with the gift of mercy. And then the last one, this spiritual gift says, you know, I'm tired of things being done in a slipshod manner around here. I come to activities, and they start late You look at the bulletin on any given Sunday, look at the words in the bulletin that are misspelled. It seems like everyone's just doing their own thing around here without any real goals or any real direction. What spiritual gift speaks that way? Gift of administration, gift of ruling, right? Um, And so when there is a disturbance in the life of the church or in a believer's life, the church family sometimes has this supernatural awareness of need and they're strongly prompted by the Spirit to minister to one or to a whole family. And that's where admonishing one another with your spiritual gift comes into play. Um, Supplying counsel from the various angles and perspectives. And uh, an example here as we wrap it up, let's say that there was a car accident right out front here. Someone in our uh, church family, goes to make a left turn, and, uh, and they have an accident. It'd be Brother Smith. He goes to make a left turn on the school road and crash. There's an accident. Well, how did the different spiritual gifts come into play as the church family hears that crash or sees that crash and rushes to the scene? The prophet says, oh, Brother Smith, I'm so glad you're okay, but you know, this never would have happened had you not failed to look both directions before turning left out of the church. That's what the prophet says, right? Person with the gift of ministry or serving, they're like, they don't say anything. You just see them already out there with a broom sweeping up debris and glass. All right? <clears throat> Uh, and some of you, you know who you are that are that way. I might call out one or two, like uh, maybe Susan Nichols would be doing something like that, not saying a word, already cleaning up. A person with this gift will say, well, Pastor, I've measured the skid marks already of of that oncoming vehicle, and it looks like they may have been going too fast. Let me do some more calculations. (laughs) That person has the gift of teaching, right? Right? Uh, The one with gift of exhortation. You know, Pastor, God has a plan through this. After we pray with Brother Smitty, I want to meet him uh, for coffee. And I want to encourage him with three steps to get through tragic events like this. A person with a gift of counseling, isn't it? Then this person says, oh, Brother Smith. I'm glad you're okay. I understand you got a, a large deductible on your insurance. So let me just write you a check for the $1,000 deductible right now. God bless you, friend. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Person with gift of giving. Uh, then this person with their spiritual gift, they say something like, uh, Okay, so... Already in the last few minutes, I've called. We have the police coming now. we got boots on the ground cleaning up the accident already. In the next 24 hours, there's going to be a thorough evaluation of how this accident happened. In the next few days, we're going to review the police report. We're going to submit the results of the findings. And if the other vehicle was traveling too fast or if you were at fault, we're going to have the answers. That's a person with the gift of ruling or administration, yeah. And then that person with, with the gift of mercy. Oh, Brother Smith, I'm so sorry for your accident today. Let me give you a hug. I'm so upset. I cried as soon as I heard about it. Let's just pray and tell Jesus right now. And uh, here, here's some tissues. I carry some with me. You see how, you see how the body of Christ, from their, the perspective of their various gifts, can admonish one another? It's a team of people specially equipped by the Lord to get us through times of need in our lives. So I conclude with this. Are you open to letting your church family minister to you? You're going to let people minister to you. And then secondly, are you looking for ways to gently, humbly utilize your gift to help others in the body? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to speak. And Lord, as we conclude this service tonight, I pray that we would desire to know our spiritual gift if we don't. And if we do that we take an interest in each other's lives here tonight and the fellowships and the weeks ahead and minister to each other as Christ did for us. In his name we pray. Amen.